Hello, friends. Welcome and thanks for listening to the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, we kicked off a new series called Warning Toxic Traits. In this first week, Pastor Jen Zerby brought up anger. This emotion has truly been misunderstood over the years in the church. Pastor Jen points out that not only is anger not a sin, but it is an emotion gifted by God, one that God himself experienced in his time here on earth as Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's the way we hold on to and suppress our anger that it becomes toxic. Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace. Well, I realize this is about the um, most stereotypical white girl thing to say, and I might as well be wearing like Ugg boots and holding a pumpkin spice latte while I say it, but (laughs) I really love candles. (laughs) Like I really, I really love candles, and I have loved candles for as long as I can remember. I remember being in middle school uh, when we used to get dropped off at the mall when the mall was a thing, Um, and we would always look for music, makeup, and candles. And when I went away to college, I used to get in trouble all of the time for burning candles in my dorm room. As an adult, I love the idea that I can make my house smell like pine trees at Christmas time, or I can make my house smell like the beach during the summer, or I can make my bathroom smell like a spa using different candles. It's, it's, it would be embarrassing if I counted the amount of money that I spent on candles over the years. Well, as many of you may know, I was uh, about five and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease, and it's a systemic disease that can affect any organ of your body at any time, but almost everyone who has it initially has it in their lungs, and I was no exception. And so I had to go through this series of tests and see a million doctors, and somewhere, somewhere along the way, a new set of parameters was, was placed on my life. No more aerosol sprays, no more perfume, No more paint fumes, no harsh cleaning products, and as you've probably guessed by now, no more candles. Why? Because scented candles are toxic. Scented candles are known to have potentially hazardous chemicals like formaldehyde and other chemicals that I can't pronounce, and they also contain paraffin, which is a petroleum-based product, and so when it's burned, it releases toxic chemicals into the air. Studies have shown that one hour of burning a scented candle can be the equivalent of smoking one cigarette. Look, if I, if I can't burn candles, I'm bringing you all down with me. <laughs> okay, to be fair, to be fair, people are a little divided on, on this, and for the most part, I'm sure burning candles is fine for those of you who have normal, healthy lungs, and so you can go back and make your houses smell like sugar cookies and marshmallows all you want, just live your life. But for me, they are toxic. Toxic things are things that are harmful in a, in a pervasive way, in an insidious way. And so I have to be careful about what my lungs breathe in so that I don't damage them further. In order to not damage them further, I need to know what things are toxic so that I can avoid them. Makes sense, right? What about in your own life? Scented candles might be fine for you, but are there other things that are toxic for you? Are there things that you should stay away from? Things that are harmful to you in an insidious sort of way? What about people? Can people be toxic? (laughs) Very, very clear there. 
Now, to be clear, every person that we meet, and even those we don't, I believe are made in the image of God, but we obviously live in a pretty messed up world where people don't act like they're made in the image of God, myself very much included. Despite first being used in writing in the year 1664, the word toxic has gained some some pretty serious traction over the past handful of years. In fact, toxic was Oxford's word of the year in 2018. According to their website, Oxford's word of the year is chosen to reflect the ethos, mood, or preoccupations of a particular year. Now, it could be coincidental that the year toxic was word of the year also happened to be an election year, but who am I to speak to that? (laughs) Toxic people obviously have always existed, but we have not always had language around it. And I'm glad that we do now, and I'm glad that it's something that we are talking more about these days, because none of us are exempt from adding to the toxicity in the world, are we? And so this morning, we are kicking off a a brand new three-week series that we're calling Toxic Traits, where we're going to be looking at things like anger, arrogance, and discontentment. Now, I know that it is our human tendency to think, oh, a sermon on anger, my spouse should really hear this one, (laughs) right? Or my friend, I hope my friend is listening online right now. We're doing a, you know, this series on these three different things, and so we instantly think of all the people who are angry or arrogant or discontent in our lives and whose toxic traits make our lives worse, right? And we hope that this sermon series is going to fix all of the people in our lives. But I want to challenge all of us, myself very much included, even if you don't tend to identify with one of these three traits, I want you to ask God to speak truth over you to speak truth into your life as we go through this series. Let's, let's humble our hearts and let's be willing to experience this series with humility and openness that maybe, just maybe, we might possess some of these traits. And maybe, just maybe, God has something to say to us. Not to our friends, not to our spouse, not to our boss, but to us. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat that this first one is coming to you live and in person from someone who has a close personal relationship with anger. Now, if you know anything about the Enneagram, and if you don't, we're going to do that for one of our community groups uh, later in the spring, so be on the lookout for that. But uh, on the Enneagram, I'm the number eight, and the fluffy language that they use to make eights sound a little nicer is, quote, eights usually have easy access to their anger. Now, usually have easy access to their anger is just a really nice way of saying that eights have anger problems. (laughs) Now, while some of us, I I think, have done a whole lot of work on ourselves, anger is still very easy for me to access. But before we go any further, I want to talk real quick about whether anger is a bad thing inherently. Now, one would assume, given that I added anger to a list in a series called Toxic Traits, that anger in and of itself is a toxic trait. And to be honest, in retrospect, I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I hadn't have included this word in this series. Anger itself is not a toxic trait. Anger itself is not a negative or a bad thing. There's a story in scripture where Jesus gets so angry at the church that he flips a table over. Anger is a God-given emotion and it's not something to be afraid of and it's not something to be ashamed of. And the reason that I want to clarify that before going any further 
is that I think the church at large has caused some pretty tremendous damage around the issue of anger. I know that there are a lot of you here this morning who did not grow up in church, and so I hope you'll allow me just for a second to speak to those who did. Anger is not a sin. Despite what the church or those within it have communicated to you over the years, you do not need to be ashamed of your anger. You don't even need to hide your anger. Just like every other emotion that God created you with, you are invited to bring your anger to God. Meaning that it's okay to be angry with God and it's okay to be angry at God. I don't know where the narrative came from within the church that we aren't allowed to be angry at God or that we aren't allowed to bring our anger to God. I don't know where it came from, but I hope that we can do our part in stopping it. Now, just, just to be perfectly honest, I was originally going to do this series at the very beginning of January. And I'm really glad that I didn't because I was just a little too angry at the time. For those of you who are new here, Pastor Bill isn't just some associate pastor that we hired off of LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) I have known the Orris family for 25 years. Pastor Bill's wife, Lisa, is one of my dearest friends in all of the world. Their daughter, Lauren, was on staff here for three years as our youth pastor. I knew Lauren's husband, John, before they even got married. Their son, Michael, when he was at school at NIU, came to church here, and he played on our worship team, and he met his wife, Kiera, here in DeKalb. I mentored Kiera through a really difficult time while she was on staff at NIU. I had the privilege of of doing premarital counseling with both Lauren and John, and then later with Michael and Kiera, and I had the distinct honor of officiating both Lauren and Michael's weddings. I spend more time with the Orises than I do with my own family. And I was among the friends and family who were with them through the loss of their oldest son, Billy, which was horrific. And then on December 17th, just seven weeks ago, Lisa texted me first thing in the morning to pray for Kiera because she was sick and she was on her way to the emergency room. Lisa and I continued to text throughout the day as Kiera was getting sicker. And there was a point at which John called me and said, I think you need to come up here, meaning to Pastor Bell and Lisa's house. On my way up there, I called a friend, and I said, God cannot let Kiera die. This family has been through too much already. And I was certain that God would not let her die. And she died about a half hour after I got to their house. I was so angry. How could I not be angry? Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God is faithful. Yes, God is good. I believe all of those things. But if God is sovereign, that means that God is in control. And if God is in control, that means that God could have stopped this horrendous tragedy, and he could have, but he didn't. And so we can talk about God's perfect plans and we can talk about God's perfect timing and I believe in both of those things, but how could I not be angry that our loving God allowed this to happen to the same family? Of course I was angry. I still am. And my anger isn't a sin. It's a response to a very real tragedy, to something that by all human understanding never should have happened. And my anger is connected to a very real pain, 
And my anger doesn't lessen my very real faith. And it doesn't change God's very real sovereignty. God gave us the ability to be angry. So why would the church tell us all these years that it's a sin or something that we should be ashamed of? It's not. In fact, there are things in this life that we should be angry with. We should be angry when a parent has to bury a child. It's not supposed to happen that way. Beyond that, we should feel angry about things like abuse or racism or gender inequality or mass shootings or human trafficking, these horrible atrocities that go against God's love for humanity. Real injustice should make us angry. It should make us so angry. And my guess is that many of you are carrying around some very real anger yourselves from a very real situation that you went through. And you need to hear me say that you are not wrong for feeling that way. You are no more wrong for your anger than you are for the times when you feel happy or sad or afraid. God gifted us with the ability to feel these things. And it is God's desire that we experience them with him, not hidden from him. So then if that's the case, and anger isn't a sin, and God is okay with us being angry near him and angry with him and even angry at him, then why is anger on my list of toxic traits? Well, Proverbs 29.11 says, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. It's on our list of toxic traits because we have this very real, this very human tendency to not bring calm in the end, but to give full vent to our rage. Now, maybe that seems a little strong for those of you who aren't eights. I don't know. Anger is so easy for me that the thought of giving full vent to my rage is actually terrifying. I don't ever, ever want to see me give full vent to my rage. But the point is that most of us fall off the rails not because we have anger, but because of what we do with our anger. And most of us end up hurting ourselves or other people because of our anger. And most of us don't know how to handle or process our anger, and so it ends up coming out sideways in situations and at people who have absolutely nothing to do with the real reason that we are angry. Have you ever seen somebody just absolutely lose their mind over something absurd? Have you yourself ever had a disproportionate response to something? If you are on any form of social media, you can hardly go a single day without seeing somebody just absolutely lose it in public over something that no person should ever get hysterical over. I guarantee you that probably 99% of the time they are not actually angry at whatever it is they are throwing a tantrum about. Author Frederick Beekner said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. He says, to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll your tongue over the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. And it's true, isn't it? We love that. The world would not be such an angry place if anger wasn't such a feast fit for a king. But then Beekner goes on to say that the chief drawback 
is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. We have all been there, I think. Even if you are someone who is not prone to angry outbursts or temper tantrums, we have all experienced that burn of anger, haven't we? And when anger isn't handled in a healthy way, and anger is rarely handled in a healthy way, when it's not handled in a healthy way, anger can become unbelievably destructive. Some of us right here in this room can tell stories about just how destructive anger has been in your own life because you have ruined friendships or damaged bodies or broken marriages or distant children or lost jobs to prove it. And the thing about anger is that it doesn't just take one single form. It's not always recognized because it doesn't look the same in everybody. Anger isn't just this screaming and swearing and throwing temper tantrums. Sometimes anger is turned inward and it looks like depression. Sometimes it's well hidden and it looks like sarcasm. Sometimes it's mean and it looks like judgment. It can be difficult to recognize anger for what it is, but it's something that most of us struggle with in one way or another. And again, if we're honest with ourselves, the anger that really gets to us day in and day out is not usually some kind of righteous anger over some systemic issue that we should be angry about. The anger that boils up inside of us is the anger that comes when we feel like we have been personally wronged somehow. The anger that comes because our sense of connection has been broken. Someone has let us down. Someone has lied to us or embarrassed us or shamed us or hurt us. Maybe our sense of of what we think is fair, our sense of what we think we deserve got messed up. Maybe uh, uh, in the face of our sense of entitlement or privilege, we didn't get what we wanted how we wanted it, when we wanted it. Whatever it is that caused us to be angry, we have to be willing and able to recognize anger within us. I know that the world is constantly telling us these days that it's okay to go off on someone whenever and wherever you feel justified to do so, but it's not true. The ongoing examples that we are seeing of people in positions of power acting out in anger continue to make the rest of the world think it's okay, but it's not. As good as anger sometimes feels and as easily as it sometimes comes to some of us, if you are someone who is pursuing Jesus, someone who is trying to live God's best for your life, then giving in to every whim of anger is not okay. And we, especially in the church, have to be able to name that and do it differently. Regardless of what our culture is doing, we don't get to treat people as if they are our personal punching bags designed to soak up our anger whenever we don't get what we want. We cannot sit here on Sunday mornings and talk about how everybody is is an image bearer of God only to turn around and allow others to be on the receiving end of our anger. And the thing is, I, I know that some of you are listening this morning, maybe online or here in the room might be thinking, nah, anger's not really my problem. I have other issues, but I don't really have a problem with anger. I don't lose my temper. I don't really even have a temper. Let me ask you to consider the possibility that just because your anger doesn't cause you to lash out at people doesn't mean that you don't struggle with it. There's an author by the name of Joel Malm, and he identifies what he says are all these different categories, all these different ways that people handle their anger. 
And so I'm going to read through those and see if you identify yourself in any of them. He says the first category is called the ticking time bomb. These folks have a long fuse. They rarely react at the moment of the incident. The anger builds slowly, sometimes over years, until one day that person explodes. Typically, these folks hold their anger in society, and the explosion happens at home with their family or people they trust. Once they've exploded, they feel calm. It's all been released, and now they feel great, but everyone who was a victim of their explosion is hurt and cowering in fear, unsure if they can trust this sudden goodwill. They live in fear of when the next outburst will happen. The second category, he says, is called the point keeper. Point keepers don't immediately react when they've been offended or hurt. They file it away, adding offense after offense to their inner list. When they finally get tipped over the edge, they unload, bringing up issues from years ago. The honeymoon incident, the time you forgot to pay the electric bill, the dumb thing that you said at that party that one time. Things that you may never have known bothered that person. They say they aren't angry, but holding a list of grievances that comes out when the victim least expects it, like it or not, is anger. The next category is Captain Sarcastic, which might as well just be my name written <laughs> right across it. Sarcasm is a form of anger. It's just clever and quick. It feels safe. If you say something sarcastic and people don't respond well, you can just say, relax, it was just a joke. But sarcasm is a form of anger disguised as humor. The next one Joel calls the velvet harpoon champion. He says, these folks are pleasant on the surface. They smile, they put you at ease, but then they make a cutting remark in a devious way. He says, we've all met these folks. And he said this, this isn't me, just to be clear. He said, one lady came up to me after a four-week uh, sermon series I gave and said, I loved this last message. It was the best of the four. You're finally teaching the Bible. Great job. <laughs> and then she smiled and walked away. He says, apparently she had some issues with the first few messages. <laughs> These are folks who pretend to care, but they lash out whenever they get a chance to do it in a kind way. The next category he calls the deep freeze. When these people feel threatened, they become quiet and distant. Some won't speak to the person that hurt them for weeks, even if they live in the same home. Silence is the weapon they use to force the other person to apologize or to punish them for what they have done. They'll act like they're, like they're trying to take the high road and not lash out, but they are lashing out. They just use silence and distance to do it rather than violence or yelling. The next category he calls the gang fighter. He says gang fighters only express anger when surrounded by friends. Being in a group gives them the confidence to lash out. Exhibit A is this. A few married couples get together and one spouse starts to make biting jokes to the group about their husband or wife. They use the safety that they feel in a group as a chance to express grievances. A community around them gives them confidence in their anger. And then the last one he says is called the guerrilla fighter. He says two words, passive-aggressive. These folks com completely agree with you or they comply with you to your face, but then behind, their back, behind your back they gossip and undermine you. He says you rarely see their anger, but you sure feel the effects of it. We see this one a lot in church. 
So odds are, even if you say that you don't get angry, you do. It may just be in a more subtle way. I don't like to say that I'm angry, and so I always call it frustration. Oh, I'm just, I'm just frustrated. No, I'm not. I'm angry. I just don't want to name it. You can call it frustration. You can call it irritation. You can call it disappointment. You can call it whatever you want, but it's anger. And the list that I just went through are just some of the more socially acceptable forms of anger. I share all of this with you not because... I share this with you because we need to be able to identify our anger. We need to be able to see it, and we need to be able to name it for what it is. We need to be given permission to have anger, and we need to give each other permission as well. Because if we don't recognize anger, it controls us, which is evident everywhere in the world around us right now. When we don't know how to deal with our anger, we end up with a society filled with people whose anger comes out sideways. When we are willing to give ourselves permission to notice our anger, when we recognize our anger and can see it for what it is, that is when we are able to surrender it to God, which in and of itself is a moment-by-moment kind of thing. Here's the truth. I, I seriously thought this was going to be an easy message to put together. We all misplace our anger. We need to learn to handle it differently, God invites us to bring our anger to him. Amen. (laughs) But the truth is that anger is complicated. Psychologists often call it a secondary emotion, that our anger is actually secondary to something else, to hurt or to shame, to pain, meaning that what we're actually feeling is hurt or shame, but it comes out as anger. Maybe that's true. Maybe sometimes we're just angry. I don't know. I don't claim to know, but here's what I do know. I watched a video recently that I would have loved to play for you, but he uses very colorful language in it, so I I will have to sum it up for you. (laughs) The video was of this guy, flannel jacket with a hoodie, beard. He's kind of this tough-looking dude. And he tells a story about being at the grocery store with his three-year-old. He turns to grab something off the shelf, and so he turns away from his three-year-old, and then he hears this blood-curdling scream. He turns around, and his son, like every child under the earth, has pinched his finger in the shopping cart. And the kid is just wailing. And so his dad picks him up, and instead of saying, shh, he says, let it out. Just let it all out. And the kid is wailing, and the dad is holding him so close, and the kid is wailing, and people are walking by and staring at them. And the dad just says, just let it all out. And so he keeps sobbing, or he keeps wailing, and then eventually his, his wailing turns into a sob, and his dad says, just let it out. And people are staring, and they're, they're judging. And he says, just let it out. I know, it's, I know that scared you. I know it hurt you. Maybe you're mad. Just let it out. And so the wailing turned into a sob, and then eventually his sobbing turns into a cry. And dad once again says, just let it out. And his cry turns into sniffles, and then the little boy stops, and he starts wiggling to get down. And his dad says, just let it out. And the boy looks up and says, Papa, all done. (laughs) And he wiggles out of his dad's arms, and he runs off to get some Fruit Loops. 
And the dad said that he made a promise to his wife that if they ever have kids, this is how they were going to handle their pain. Why? Because pain is stored in our body. And it turns into anger when it's undealt with. And sometimes that anger looks like depression. And sometimes that anger looks like harming ourselves, And sometimes that anger looks like harming somebody else. Sometimes that anger looks like the lady who lost her mind at the store over something trivial. I don't know if anger is a primary or a secondary emotion. I don't know if sometimes we're just angry with no other emotional strings attached. I also don't know what kind of anger you are holding on to today. What I do know is that most of us were never allowed to feel our anger. And most of us were never taught what to do with our anger. And most of us are holding on to our anger, which is when anger becomes a problem. So in addition to getting help, if or when some of the things that are stored up in you need to be sorted out, if you're finding yourself reacting in disproportionate ways to things, in addition to therapy, what I want to remind you of is that God is not afraid of your anger, even if it is at him. That video is maybe the best picture of what God does with our anger when we bring it to him. Regardless of the kind of parents you may have had here on earth, God is the image of a loving father or loving mother holding us and inviting us to let it all out. Not on somebody else's time, but on ours. To let it out as God holds us and comforts us and to keep letting it out until we are done. Now, if you're angry about a pinched finger, we might be done in just a minute or two. But for most of us, it's going to take a lot more time than that. And that's okay, because God is patient, and God will continue to hold you, and God will continue to invite you to let it out so that it doesn't become something toxic in your body or your soul or to the world around you. Henry Nouwen said that anger is one of the main obstacles of our spiritual life. He said, during the long nights, we often find ourselves brooding about words and actions that we might have used in response to what others have done or said to us. It is precisely here that we have to dig into our spiritual resources and find the center within us, the center that lies beyond our need to hurt others or ourselves, where we are free to forgive and free to love. Your anger is okay. What you do with it will affect your whole life. Hold on to it, and it will become poisonous. Let it out, not on the world, but before Jesus. Allow God to transform your anger, and you will be set free. Let's pray together. God, we thank you this morning for the reminder that our anger is okay. Many of us were raised in, in an environment where we were taught to stuff it down, taught to hide it, taught to be ashamed of it. Most of us were never taught how to handle it. And so this morning, Lord, would you speak your truth over us? Would you give us the courage to dig real deep within ourselves to recognize the anger that might exist there? God, would you give us the wisdom to recognize within ourselves when anger is hiding as something else or something else is hiding as anger? 
If we need help with that, Lord, give us the courage to do that. But for all of us, Lord, would you give us the courage to bring it before you? Help us to know that as we hold on to anger, it becomes more and more toxic to us. And it becomes more and more toxic to our relationships. And it becomes more and more toxic in the world around us. You have offered us another way. It's not a magical cure. You've offered us the gift of holding us while we let it out. Of comforting us while we tell you all about it. Not in the world's time, but in our time. And so God, remind each one of us that you are here with us and for us. That your desire is to transform us and to set us free. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.